We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, what's going on? Welcome to the Irish Breakdown Podcast, coming to you live on a Friday, which means it's Friday Free For All Mailbag. I'm Ryan Roberts, Director of Recruiting here at Irish Breakdown, joined by my man, Mr. Brian Driscoll, the publisher, owner, operator, everything else in between. <laughs> you can just say Brian Driscoll. It's all good. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I need yeah. to. Uh, I I did give you that long title, man. Like you ever seen Game yeah. of Thrones, where they have to give like seventeen titles before no, people's I names? I never like, watched much of Game of Thrones. To oh be man, yeah. it, I watched it, a little bit of the first season, and it just was like, yeah, this is a hard pass. Dude, hard Daenerys Targaryen. She had like seventeen nicknames before finally saying Daenerys Targaryen. So gotcha. that's kind of where I was going yeah. for there, but. Okay. Uh, we're live here on a Friday, like I said, Brian. So we have a lot of mailbag questions that are already in the chat. We had 45 before we even started the show. So Love a lot it. of questions. Love it. Today, today, of course, was the Pro Day at Notre Dame, which Brian was at for a while. I think Sean Davis is still at the Pro Day as we yeah. speak right now. So we're not going to... early so I could yeah. be with y'all. Yes. That's what I did today. Yeah. You want to talk about co- commitment. That is commitment right there. So if you all want a little bit more of an in-depth conversation about the pro day, we'll probably do more of that tomorrow after the open practice and kind of talk it out of what we saw in the open practice, what Brian and Sean saw live at the pro day. But there are plenty of pro day questions that are already in the chat. So we'll yep. be able to knock through a bunch of those. So that all to be said is that we're not going to have like an in-depth conversation about the pro day here. We're more going to answer some questions about the pro day and and like I said, open practice tomorrow. So there's going to be a lot of content in Irish Breakdown. So make sure you go sign up boards at irishbreakdown.com, intel pieces, both from the team side, recruiting side, a lot of content coming out. So make sure to tap in. But Brian, Friday, we know yeah, what that man. means. Yeah, the, community, the Irish Breakdown community gets to lead the conversation right. today, which is right. a great opportunity for everyone. Our version so, of Open Line Friday. So that's, that's what it, I'm man. fired up about. So yeah, let's let's dive right into it, man. And, and yep. Of course, John A1 has a bunch of them, so we'll try to mix others into them. Him and Michael Collins come correct early on, man. I absolutely love yep. it. So we'll start here with him. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And John's first question, it's a two-parter. It says, in modern football, where the passing game dominates, why does the shelf life for running backs seem to be shorter? Looking back to the past running backs where franchise players averaged nearly 30 carries, was it the Terrell Davis injuries that began to change the tide? Is it salary cap investment for a position that's less valuable in modern football, or is it something else? I think it's a fascinating question, Brian. I would say, John, I think usually it's a it's a little bit of everything, right? But I think that you hit on something there, John, is that for the investment part of it, I think that teams are just less likely to give running backs bigger second contracts, which means some guys start to fall through the cracks a little bit. You know, it's become a young man's game at the running back position. So I still do think that there's some running backs that are like, for instance, maybe like 28 years old that maybe just don't get as many opportunities because they kind of have hit that age where teams think that they have kind of depreciated as far as their value. So I think that's part of it. And then also, you know, it's it's the wear and tear still. I mean, these guys have been running the football a ton, most likely since they were in high school, when they're in college, in the NFL. There is a, a definitely a attrition aspect to it, but I think you hit on something key there, Brian, in my opinion, that it's like if a running back's 28, maybe I overlook him to get the younger guy in the building. So maybe he could actually play for a year or two more, but maybe I just look for a guy that maybe has a little bit more value to me in the sense that he's a younger commodity, if that makes sense. I think that's part of it. I think there's other parts of it too, is the game has become so specialized at running back that traditional running backs just kind of get used up early. And then when they've, you know, get to their second contract or like Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, he's not that old. And the guy was playing college football in 2015, right? And the Cowboys have already moved on from him. You know? I think he's only like 28 or something, man. 27? Yeah. Like, he's it's still like young. He's 27. Yeah. He'll be 28 before the season starts, and the Cowboys yeah. are ready to move on from him. And why? Because he's not as good as he was when he was younger. And, you yep. know, there's there's all types of reasons why. And, you know, obviously some of those are Ezekiel Elliott's fault, right? But I think that's part of – I think what you said is part of it, Ryan. I, I think that the, an, another big part of it, too, is – I think the financial part and all that you mentioned, but here's another part for me is that running back is still one of those positions with the gate, the way the game is played today. There's not a, the value of a 4.2 yard per carry Jerome Bettis type of back. 
And I mean, we're seeing that with the with the um, with uh, Tennessee and and talking about already moving on from Derrick Henry because they don't want to pay that money. I mean, he's 29 years old. You'd think the guy was like going on 40 the way that they're <laughs> acting. You know what I mean? And even though he's even though the fact that he's coming off of of a, of a year in the NFL where he was a, a thousand yard rusher and and the year before that he was a guy that was had 937 yards rushing and 10 touchdowns in only eight games, right? on pace for almost 20 touchdowns two years ago. So then they're ready to move on from him. Why? Because he's 29 and he's makes a lot of money. They just don't want to pay that position. But there's another part of it too, to me, Ryan, that running backs in the way the game is played today, the fact that they wear down quicker makes them less valuable earlier in their career. And I think there's another position we kind of see this with Ryan and that's linebacker. You know, we're not seeing as many 35, 36-year-old linebackers as we used to either because they lose a step and the way the game is played to now because it's such a sideline-to-sideline game now and pass coverage is so important that that 34-year-old thumper Mike linebacker that doesn't run like he used to but can still hit and read a defense and all that and play in the box, well, this isn't a box game anymore. And so that guy is not there anymore. We're not going to see the Jerome Bettises anymore. We're not going to see the the Mike Singletary's anymore and those those guys that are a lot older doing that so I think that's all part of it where the game is played where you know a wide receiver can lose a step and still be really good because he's crafty he can run right there's no craftiness about being a running back unless you're Barry Sanders I mean you lose a step you lose a step yep Emmett Smith would have never been allowed to play as long as he did in today's era okay that's a good thing and honestly Ryan that's part of the reason I don't like watching the NFL anymore to be honest with you, is because of that. So I think that factors in as on top of the things that you mentioned, Ryan. So I'm not saying I, it's different than the ones you said. It's just yeah, on a little piece of that as well. Well, I think I think all those reasons add up, right? Like I've always been on the the vantage point that most things don't have one right answer, right? There's a contributing factors from a lot of different areas. The linebacker note's really interesting too, Brian, because you're you're not wrong, man. Like there is a lot less. Because you know why it is, and I always push back on this term. People say like two down run stoppers at linebacker. That's not a thing anymore, man. They're one down players at this point at Mike linebacker. Like they really are. As much as I hate it, because <laughs> like I was more of a box player, you know. Like I wasn't. I mean, I could go out in space a little bit when I played, but like I was more of like tackle to tackle type of player. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. linebacker position has been depreciated. It's absolutely. Right. I mean, that's why you that always type hear people, of player at linebacker. Yes. Has, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it, it uh, it's a bummer, but, uh, I mean, that's just kind of the way it's going, man. It's just the way that it's going. And, and again, I think it'll cycle back at some point in time, but just yeah. it's not going to be the next two, three seasons, in my opinion. Exactly. From Michael Collins, he says, Do you have any concerns that Ron Paulus III being medically retired will negatively impact his dad's relationship with Coach Freeman and or the program? I honestly don't have any idea. I don't see why. I, I mean, look. His son's going to still be on scholarship. His son's still going to get a chance to graduate from the University of Notre Dame. I mean, I, I would hope that he had no illusions that his son was a Division One quarterback. I don't, I don't know that he did or didn't. I mean, yeah, like he, he's. Here's the thing about it. About it, I, I don't think this is a thing where Marcus Freeman walked in there and told a completely healthy, never been injured Ron Paul's the third. Sorry, dude, you're out of here. I don't think that was part of the conversation at all. Ron Paulus III has been injured a lot during his yeah. career. He has had issues. There's been times, Ryan, where we've been at practice and in the past, or you guys are there, and he wasn't out there. We've seen pictures of them in after after games where he's in street clothes, you know. So he has had a lot of injuries. I think this is a legitimate thing. So 
Yeah. I don't think that would create any problems. And and look, I I don't I'm not someone who who shies away from being critical of his dad. I, I have no problem doing that. I, I don't think this is one of those things where there's any kind of issue. And it and if it does create an issue, then that speaks volumes about Ron Paulus's dad. It, I mean, I was, I was going to say that's like if if there was a major issue there, man, that's like some helicopter right. parent stuff, right? right? Like that's what that is, you know. Right. So. Yeah, it would be uh it would be uh really not good. Really no. Not good. From Coach Bent 574, if Notre Dame was playing competitive inter-squad scrimmage tomorrow, what is their most versatile defensive 11? Obviously no sub packages allowed on defense. Well, let's answer that Ryan and assume that everyone is healthy. Okay, sure. so let's assume that Cam Hart can go in a full full squad scrimmage and let's assume Thomas Harper could as well, which they can't. Okay. Yeah. To me, it would be as far as like they can't sub package. So I've got to go with something that can be a base first down defense. I'd have Jordan Patelho at the Viper. I'd have Javante Jean Baptiste at the big end position. I guess they're calling it field end now. I'd have mm-hmm. Riley Mills at three technique and Howard Cross at nose. That's easy for my interior of my offensive line. My starting linebackers would be, I'd probably, if again, we're talking sub package, I'm going to give you two answers because the answers are going to change if we're playing a more of a pro style. Oh, I guess facing Notre Dame's facing Notre Dame's team. I'm going to go this way. Actually, Ryan, I'm actually going to go with the base defense. Cause if we're talking about Notre Dame, uh, they're going to do a lot of 12 personnel, things like that. So you got to be prepared for that. So I'm going to go Jalen Sneed at Rover. I'm going to go with, uh, J.D. Bertrand at Mike, and I'm going to go with either – okay, I can't sub-package, but I can rotate. I'm going to go with a combination of Nolan Ziegler and Jack Kaiser at will, and I don't care who starts. I'm going to go with those two guys at will. My corners are easy. I'm going to go with Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart, and my safeties are Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts. I think that gives me a really athletic, versatile group. You've got a guy like Jalen Snead who can run, who can cover, who can blitz. He can do a lot of different things. My will is going to be more an, a more effective pass game guy this year. I think Jack Kaiser's limitations at Rover are somewhat minimized at will. There's still limitations with the, a will who's short, Ryan. We saw these with J.D. Sure. Bertrand at times two years ago, but I think the safety play is better and the corner play and the boundary is better that now that you can kind of help ease some of those things. But that's why I have Nolan Ziegler in there. So right. if I'm facing a team that likes to run a lot of boundary stuff with their wide receivers or – know work a lot of back hash stuff where your backside wills got to get up underneath that stuff then i'll put nolan ziegler in there so that's my uh so i'm gonna cheat a little bit and do that right but that would that would be my answer i mean you could go with thomas harper at nickel and yeah. i think you could handle run game stuff to a degree but if i'm playing like a pro style running team i don't have the great i, I could i could handle the pass better with jalen sneed at rover than i can handle a run with Thomas Harper at Rover. If I'm in a, if I'm playing a team that's running their base defense, their base offense. Sure. Sure. I, I I would say this. I think that I don't really have too many changes that I would make off of the lineup that you put, Brian. I think the great thing about having Jordan Batelho and Joshua Burnham though, as the Viper in this scenario is that, and I, I think someone just asked about it in the chat, which I think is a very applicable thing. Cause you're asking about versatility here, right? So when I think of versatility, that means that you can do multiple things out of it, right? So if I'm if I have Jordan Batelho, if I'm in a three, if I say I'm going to go into a three three look, I can just stack Jordan Batelho as a Sam linebacker. So you still have that three three fronts. You would still have Riley Mills and 
and Javante Jean-Baptiste, excuse me, as your defensive ends, and then you would still have a guy like a Howard Cross. And then the great thing is that you you could potentially just cycle out. You could take Jalen Seed off the field, for instance, and you could put Thomas Harper on the field, right, where you're just like sure. that kid is a nickel who could also probably play a little bit of safety. So that also brings versatility to it. Right. So I think that that's – The only reason I didn't go with him is because he said no sub packages. Yeah. Right? That's Because if we can do sub packages, then I'm absolutely doing that. Uh, yeah. No question. I think I think that, that that lineup makes the most sense again because it's like you four two five base, but you could also run a three three five base out of that as well. It would just you know Jalen C would be more of a nickel than a true linebacker sure. spot, like a Sam linebacker. Sure. Jordan Batelho would now become your Sam linebacker. To your point, right? Yeah, that'd be an interesting alignment for sure. No doubt be. about that. No doubt about that. All right, here we go. Let's let's get to this, uh, this next one, right? From Paul Hamilton, who said, can we get a Nolan Ziegler update? I feel like I do not hear about him a lot. I don't know. I mean, I I, I don't know how much you want us to talk about Nolan Ziegler. I feel like we talk about him all the time. On this and show. Every we do, time yeah. we ever talk about linebackers, we talk about Nolan Ziegler. Uh, I, 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 so I'm, I'm not sure what else we can do as far as update. He's on the team and he's gone through the first two practices. I, I, Again, we were there for the first five periods, and I, I don't, I don't know exactly what we saw. No team, we saw no one on ones. We saw the linebackers going through drills. Right. He's a scholarship player at Notre Dame. If he doesn't look good going through those drills, then he shouldn't be on scholarship at Notre Dame. So, I mean, we did a breakout show last week, Ryan, and he was my pick for breakout player at linebacker. So, yep. I'm not sure, uh, Paul, what else you want me to talk about with him? I mean, and, and if you're had, asking seen, for. Five, we've seen 25 minutes of one practice. That's what I was going to say. Is say. I was going to say, like, Paul, if you wanted a, a more in-depth, you know, just evaluation of Nolan and how he's doing, that's like an end of the spring type of sure. thing, right? Like, that's way at more important halfway. at this point. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, I'll it, talk about him tomorrow because, I, I, as I said the other day, I'm going to focus more on the defense tomorrow. Right. Whereas in practice number one, I tried to focus more on the offense because, you know, I want to – when it's – so, like, in the past, Ryan, when we get full practices, I'll talk about the whole team. Right, because there's just different periods of time when I can look at different parts of it and say, "Hey, here's what I think about this group. Here's what I think about that group. You know, here's here's how this group performed." Because during the during a, a full two hour practice, I can spend different times watching different groups and feel good about what I did. But when you're talking about a 25 minute practice, if I was going to watch the whole group by myself, I'd get a little bit of everybody, and that wouldn't give you much. So I focus yeah. on one side of the ball when we do those type of things. So I'll have more on the defense on Saturday. And by then, Paul, hopefully we do have an update on how on how Nolan did. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would much rather hyper-focus on a few players than just get a little tiny bit about a bunch of guys, right? Like, I mean, because that's what we strive for here, right? Like, we want in-depth analysis. We don't want just, like, shallow analysis. So I think yeah. that that's the way to do it. Sorry. I was like my – I feel like my neck was feeling a little weird. I'm like, why do I feel like there's this weird rubbing? And I forgot that I took my you saw my your media pass, press <laughs> pass yeah. On. So uh, from pro day, so my bet on that. I was like, what the heck is scratching my neck? Whoops, that's <laughs> whoops, funny. Whoops, whoops. Here we go. Let's go. Let's move on. From Nathan Milton, he said, of all the recruits going back to 2000, which ones were you most wrong about? Josh, what's the kids? Josh Barajas. Yeah, he thought he was going to be yeah, a stud, right? I did. I love that kid coming out of high school. I, I love Max Redfields. 
I love Max. But see, Franco, I think Max man. was a good player, though. I mean, Max was a multi-year starter at Notre Dame. I mean, he, yeah, he was not I, a bad football player. I, I just he thought he was going to be a half su- seasons. I thought he was going to be a superstar, yeah. man. I thought he was going to be see, a superstar. One thing, so you're telling me the worst prediction you've made is a guy that you thought was going to be a superstar, but he was only a two-and-a-half-year starter? That That's your worst one? I feel like that's a miss, man. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I think it's a miss on my part. I okay. think it was a miss. It was a little so bit of a miss. Which is really the most wrong about. I picked most a guy that about. I thought was going to be a stud in their name, and he couldn't even start at a 1AA school. That's wild. Yeah. Now, there, again, there's this is the thing is when the guys like that bust out, it's not like I was wrong and he wasn't athletic. I mean, he showed up at Notre Dame really overweight had work work ethic issues. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that stuff other than just, oh gee, I thought he was good and he really wasn't that good. But yeah, he he um he was without question my biggest one. Oh um I think we talked about him the other day. Uh Darnell Yule. Yes. This one for me. Yeah, that's a yes. big one. <laughs> that's a big the, one. <laughs> yeah. Where I miss with Yule was the floor. Because yeah. he's one of those guys that graded as a four star with a four star ceiling. Like, yeah. I just thought he was going to be what he was when he showed up, but he wasn't even, like, he couldn't even do that. And he, Again, he had a really tough time adjusting to Notre Dame. That was another thing that he struggled with. Man, he looked like yeah. a million bucks in high school, man. Oh, man. I was like, that kid's going to be good, man. Bully. He's going to be uh, good. Yeah. I was yeah. shocked he wasn't better than he was. <laughs> and my dad's like six two and a half, six three. Like, he's a big guy. And he, he actually went and covered Darnell's commitment because at the time, my parents lived like 10, 15 minutes away. My dad actually went to Lake Taylor High School Oh, As a kid, I can't I can't remember if he was bussed to Lake Taylor or bussed to Booker T. But they started doing the busing, you know, the 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 with segregation and all that ending. They started yeah. doing busing, and so they started busing the poor kids to certain schools, you know. And my dad got busted the poor kid school, and I just don't remember if that was to Lake Taylor or to Booker T before mm-hmm. he dropped out. So uh, I can't remember, but he went to Lake Taylor, and that's where Darnell went. So we didn't live that far from Lake Taylor. Actually, I played against Lake Taylor in high school. Uh, my fr- my freshman year at Kempsville, we played against Lake Taylor as our non-conference game. So, yeah. So, he went and covered it, and he was like, man, that's a big human being. And, again, my dad's not small, Ryan. Yeah. He's, a, he's a pretty big guy. So, I was like, okay, yeah, that tells me a little something. Actually, you and met my dad. He's I did big, meet your dad yeah, once. Yeah, he's a, he's yeah. a big fellow. He is a big yeah. guy. Yeah. Oh, man, Darnell. I just remember, man, like, he had such a clean frame in high school, yeah. too, right? Like, he was just Strong, massive. He was yeah, just no massive gut. kid. <laughs> yeah, just no feel for the game whatsoever is what they Ugh. kept saying. And he just, yeah, he had a tough time adjusting. So, yeah, th- those are good ones. Yeah. And from John A1, another question, is Ty- Tyson Ford more of an inside-outside player, similar to tr- uh, to track to Riley Mills, has gone through at Notre Dame, or will he just move inside at 292 pounds? If he is pure inside player, how does that affect big-end recruiting numbers going forward? Well, I – I think he's an inside out guy, but inside out meaning three technique and four down, five technique and four or four eye and three down is what I what so, I think. So, so, so similar similar to, similar to what you see with Riley Mills. Very now. similar to what yeah. I see from Riley Mills. Sure. I actually I actually I think that Tyson probably has a little bit more ability based on high school film to be a pure edge guy than Riley had, but I don't know how he's going to move at 292. I have to see that. Hopefully I'll see that tomorrow as well. But I think they already kind of have started to project him inside with their recruiting because they signed three guys that are going to start off at big end in the, in the 2023 class and Brendan Vernon, Bubakar Traore and Armel Mookum. I expect one of those guys to move inside, but those are three guys that I anticipate Ryan starting their career at 
the field end, big end position. So yep. I think they've already kind of projected to have him be more of an inside guy, to be completely honest with you. And then the other thing, too, is if you're in some looks, if you are going to do, and we'll have a question about the 335 coming up, but in some looks, if you're going to a pure 335, you can, like TCU has basically two, I mean, their two ends are basically big, would be three techniques and a four down. More, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's what teams that are that do that as their base will do a lot. If Notre Dame is definitely going to a package where, hey, we're going to be primarily 3-3 this series, then they can put two of those guys on the field together Yes, in those situations. And, you know, and then with a guy like Tyson Ford, the value that he brings is, Ryan, is he could play the end spot, but then if you did want to slide to a four down, he can just kick inside in a four-eye or three technique and still be effective. I, and So, yeah. Brian, can I say that I was – and again, this isn't practical as much because I haven't seen that what they, it looks like in practice. But I was really happy about some of the weight gains for the interior defensive lineman on paper. Dude, right? they got big. Yeah. yeah. A bunch Gabriel, of 290, 300-plus pound dudes, yeah. G- Gabriel Rubio is over 300 pounds. Aiden Keanu kind of dropped a little bit of weight, which I think was super interesting. Tyson Ford's over 290. Jason Onye was what, like 288 or something like that? Like he was somewhere in that ballpark. Riley Mills is up to 296. On paper, I'm like, okay, pretty soon you're not going to be able to say that Notre Dame has no size on the interior. You're like, there's some size coming, man, which was nice to see. Really nice to see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and I think Bubakar could be like that too, moving forward, Ryan, as well. I think I could see him being, being a 280 80 pound guy that can play big end and slide inside and handle it there as well. So uh, they got bigger with their, their, t- did they recruit any pure 300 pounders in their 2023 class? No. No. But they got bigger. They got longer well, and taller and thicker than what he, they had been, in my opinion. I know Devin Houston's out for the spring, Brian, but he got up to 287 pounds yeah. too, right? Like, he's a big cat as well. I mean, right. you got some guy. He's going to be 295, 300 pounds before too long. Like, that's right. easy. Brendan Vernon's the interesting one for me, Brian. Like, he was up to 280-something pounds during the season. He got that down to 259 for the All-American Bowl in San Antonio. I'm really interested to see how they – project Brennan Vernon long-term as far as, is he a guy that you're going to pack weight on? Is he a guy that you're just going to leave as the big end? Really interesting to see what, how Brennan Vernon slots in. Yeah. That's going to be, yeah, very interesting to see how those guys pan out. There's no doubt about that. Here we go. Next question for Michael Collins. Do recruits ever mention positive interactions with fans to you? What suggestions do you have for us to make a positive impact outside of the obvious? Don't sell tickets, no negative social media, et cetera. I mean, to me, Brian, all the time, I, I've talked to a lot of recruits that when they get on campus, they talk about like the game day atmosphere, for instance, yeah. and they talk about it all the time about how well welcoming fans are, how it was awesome just to be able to talk to them. Their parents get a, an opportunity to chit chat with Notre Dame fans. So, yeah, I mean, I've heard yeah. a lot about positive, positive, well, positive interactions. And they love it when like they know when you know who they are. Yes. You know, like, a, hey, you know, so and so you're the man, you know, something like that. I, look, I, I think, you know, cheer for them. Be yeah. encouraging to them. You know, like you said, no negative. Look, it, it, honestly, if there was no social media, the reality is, is most fa- the view of fan, the fan pair relationship would be much different than it is today. Yeah. And you'd have those crazies that will send in letters, but it was easy to, you know, ignore those. You didn't have to read those. But, you know, to me, I think that's, that's kind of where I see it. Ryan is just, when you see them on campus, be encouraging. If they're doing, if if their Notre Dame commits or, or Notre Dame players, and they have some sort of NIL thing that you can support, support it if you're able to. 
you know, yeah. like people that bought some of Foskey's gear or something like that. If you want to support them that way, support them that way. Cause that's legal. I mean, you know, they have, they have an NIL thing, do something like that. I think those are things to me, uh, be encouraging about their recruitment. You know, don't be one of those clowns that jumps in and every time a kid posts something, you take a shot at him or every time we tweet a story, well, I'm not going to enjoy this commitment because he's probably going to decommit. Again, yes. four decommitments out of 20 some commits and you want to act like everybody decommitted, you know, but just stop. If you're a negative person just in general and you, all you say is negative things, that's fine. Just, just don't just well, say well, it, type it out. You feel good about yourself and then hit delete. Yeah. You know? I, so. I, I, I think the biggest, I mean, suggestion, Michael, like you, I mean, Brian already hit on it a bunch, but social media is the biggest thing where it's just like, stop, man, just stop. Like, can we remember that these are kids at the end of the day? I mean, Brian, I know it's easy for like us to say to one another, like, just ignore Twitter, just ignore that guy and sure. stuff. But like, as a 17 year old yourself, you're sure. like, you, you read that stuff, man. They're reading it. They are. They are. They shouldn't. I mean, they, they should. I mean, that's are. part of it. It's like, don't, you know, like, yes. or make your tweets private where only the people that you, that you allow to respond to you, you know, only people you follow can respond to you. You can do yeah. things like that because here's the deal. Fans aren't entitled to know what you think and feel about social media. But at the same time, if you're going to make yourself open on social media, you have to understand that there's going to be blowback because there are people out there that just like to be trolls. They like to be negative. They like to tear down people that have success and they just like to be a-holes. And there's fans of other teams who create fake accounts of Notre Dame and, you know, they do it to other teams too and then act like complete morons and you're like, oh, the account just got started this month. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that that's not a real person. Like we had a situation like that during the season with a, a, a parent of a recruit that was committed to Notre Dame at the time. And, you know, I talked to the mom and I was like, you have to understand that like not everybody that's doing that is actually a Notre Dame fan. Yes. Like, you know, send me the names of them and I'll let you know who is and who isn't. You know I mean? When you see an account that's just been started that month, you're telling me that person just never had a Twitter account before, just randomly decided to start one and then just bet to, to bash players. To, yeah, come yeah. on now. Like, let's use some common sense here. But there's enough actual Notre Dame fans who posts stupid things on Twitter Yes, that you're like, yeah, you're a pretty miserable human being. And that says a lot. Of, and this thing said, Hey guys, when, uh, when someone attacks you, that says way more about them than it does you. Right. So just, but that's, like I said, that's easy for me as a 44 year old who's been dealing with this crap for over a decade from people, whether it's on message boards or Twitter emails. I mean, if I could yeah. send you every, awful thing that somebody said or sent to me or said about me, it's like, man, it's probably, we'd be here all day. <laughs> I don't care. Like, I don't read that stuff anymore. You know, it, it used to bother me, but it doesn't anymore. Cause it's like, that says more about that person than it does me, you know? And if it, that's what so, I would say to them, the Twitter sphere is just so even worse now, Brian, because right. people can legitimate, make themselves look legitimate on Twitter so easily. Now, yeah. man, you can buy followers. You can pay eight bucks a month to get a verification tag. Like you right. can make yourself look like you actually are a somebody yeah, who be listened to very easily. It's just, it's a terrible world. Right yeah, now. I, yeah, I hate. So I mean, bad. I get why Elon Musk is doing it. I don't like it. You know, I think it's, it's dumb. Like, it's so dumb. Yeah. They should have kept the grandfather thing in. Like, I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not paying. I'm, I'm not, not paying, paying eight bucks a month no, for a verification no, tag. I'm not doing just, it now. Just not because it. Do, now that it can be for everybody, it just doesn't mean as much anymore. And yeah. you know, Twitter doesn't drive much traffic to our site anyway. I mean, it just. And if I got to pay for you to drive site to my tra traffic to my site, then I'm just not going to do it. 
Yes. So it is what it is. But that's why, people, you need to be subscribed to the Irish Breakdown newsletter. So when we do write stories, you can get them sent to you every day. And it's also why you should be on the message board because we put those on the message board every day. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It helps us a ton. So anyway, but yeah, honestly, Ryan, I've I've said this to you a million times. And and you and I have a generational gap in Mm -hmm. how we view Twitter. So imagine what it's like between me and a 19-year-old. You're 30. (laughs) And you and I have yeah. a completely view of social media, different view, because it's been around for most of your adult life. For yes. me, I didn't get my first Twitter page until I was coaching football at Defiance. And I was in, I was like 30 something at the time before I even got on Twitter. And I can promise you, promise you that if I didn't have to do be on Twitter for my job, I wouldn't be on Twitter. I hate <laughs> social media. With the Dude, I, I, fought, I fought so many evil right now. I fought so many people not to get on Twitter. I, I think I joined like five years ago now, four years yeah. ago, something like that. And I was just like, it was like for, you know, to get your name out there type of thing. Right. And I'm just like, I remember fighting it so hard. I'm like, Twitter is stupid. I've never yeah. joined Twitter. And then here I am. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying it's not okay to be critical of players. It's just like, do you feel better like tweeting at them? again, it's it's a little different with professional athletes. I don't like it. I would never do it. But it's a little different with professional athletes because they're professional athletes. Right. When you're like going after a 19-year-old a because you didn't like how he played in a football game, like, come on, man. Like, it's, But again, it's, to the players, that says more about that person than it does you. Especially you know? when you can hide behind a fake name and nobody right. knows who you are. Like right. just coward stuff, man. Coward yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. You deal with a lot more of that than I just think people that used to come and troll at me just don't tag me anymore. Number one, I just block people like it's a, the best part about Twitter is the mute button and the block button. But I think I stopped responding because that's what they want you to do. They want you to respond and then they get you. That's what that's what's the only piece of advice I've given you, Ryan, when it comes to Twitter. That's it's that right there. Like that yeah. guy's clearly trying to get you into an argument. He's not trying to have a rational conversation with you. He's trying to piss you off. Hey, and man. when you show that you're pissed off, he wins. Hey, I'm you the know? voice of the people, Brian. I put people yeah. in body bags on Twitter, yeah. right? If you say so. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. All right, let's move on to the next one. We've had our social media question for today. We can move on. Question from Coach Bent 574. What would be the mo- most versatile non-quarterback skill position five? Wait, let me read that again. What would be the most versatile non-quarterback skill position five players? Eliminating offensive line because you don't sub them typically. So most versatile uh, offensively, I would I would put Chris Tyree on that list. Obviously, I would put Braden Lindsey. I'm not Braden Lindsey. Lorenzo Styles on that list because I think Lorenzo could do things out of the backfield. And we saw we've seen him in high school. Ryan get direct handoffs on power plays. There's a I think it's Pickering North. Where he took a third and one handoff and just ran a linebacker over. Like Lorenzo's stronger than people think. He doesn't look it, but he's stronger than people think. Yeah, but uh, he he'd be one. I I would say I'd put Benjamin Morrison on there. I think I think Benjamin Morrison could play all three corner positions. And if you watched him in high school, if you needed him to, he could go play some receiver for you. Like I'd I'd put him in there. Uh, in that conversation as well. Xavier Watts clearly needs to be in this conversation because I think he can play <laughs> yes. a receiver, like a, be a division one player at receiver uh, or safety. There's, there's no doubt about that. So th- those are the four. Oh, and Cam, um, Cam Hart doesn't catch the ball well enough for me to say he'd be more versatile. He's got to catch the ball better. I'm trying to think yeah. who my next guy would be, Ryan. Z- Xavier Watts could probably play some nickel too if he needed yes. to play back. I mean, you he could be mean? a like, receiver. He could be a nickel. He could be a corner in, in certain coverages if you're going to play a lot of zone. 
he yeah. could be a safety. I'm trying to think of who who my next guy would be on that. Uh, Joe so Jeremiah said, Love. Once he gets here, it'll yes. be Jeremiah Love. Because he, he could play corner, he could play safety, he could play receiver, he could play running back. Those would be my five off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I think that we have a similar list. I would also say Joshua Burnham would definitely be one for me. He could – I mean, I guess you have to say Jordan Patello too, right? Like, I mean, yes. the guy's played rover, yes. linebacker, definitely. edge at Notre Dame. So that one for sure. Jeremiah Love, 100% for the guys that are coming in, like no doubt about it. I, I was trying to push for them to move Jordan Patello to Mike Linebacker a couple of years ago. Yeah. Like, so yeah, I think he's – that's a good one, Ryan. He's a very yeah. versatile guy. Very there. versatile guy. That's a good one. Yeah, he's another really one. I think Jalen Sneed ish is a pretty versatile player. I mean, I don't know. I'd say he's versatile out of two positions. He can do yeah. a lot from those positions. I don't know if there's a lot of other positions he could play. And I guess to me, that's what he, I he, feel a little bit of versatility. An underrated, I, I'm not saying he would be a top five player on my list for this one, but an underrated, versatile player of the 2023 class is Preston Zinter. Yes. Because I think he legitimately could play tight end on some teams yep. in Division One level. He could play Mike. I think he could play Edge if you needed him yep. to, if he bulks up properly. So I yep. think he's a pretty versatile player as well. That's a good one. In the 23 yep. class, that's a really good one. Yeah. Really good one. Speaking of 23 class, Ryan, here we go. John A1, will the best route runner on the Notre Dame 23 roster be a true freshman? Ooh. I don't think so, no. Uh, it could potentially be, but I, I don't think so. I think Tobias Merriweather is a very underrated route runner, and I think he was a very good route runner. That was one of the things I rated him very highly on, Ryan. You remember when I broke his film down. That was one thing. He's a much better route runner than people think. Four or six. Yeah. Hey, look, him being a good route runner is going to look a lot different than like Rico Flores because their bodies sure. are so much different. Yep, but for his body type, he's a very good route runner, a very good route runner. So I think he'll be in that conversation. I think Caleb Smith's a pretty good route runner. He'll be in that conversation. Uh, in you know, my, you opinion. know who was a good good route runner down the stretch of the season Jayden was Thomas. Jaden Thomas. Yes. Man, he was yes. breaking off some now, routes. Again, sir. His route running is going to look different at six two two twenty than yep. what Rico's does, and like Rico's is looks different than Jaden than Jane Greathouse. Like you and I have debated. You know, you put Jaden Greathouse as the best route runner. I put Rico. I think it's a conversation mm-hmm. to have. It's a legitimate sure. conversation to have. I think Caleb Smith, the rookie Caleb Smith, young Caleb Smith, is a guy that's a, a much better route runner than people think. So they've actually recruited some guys with some prowess as route runners, which helps. And now it's about taking it to the next level when they get here. But I don't think any of those freshmen are to the point. Now, I'll say this, Ryan. Had they not changed position coaches? Then yes, I think you could have made a case that Rico. I'm serious. Yeah, I hear you. Because what we saw with kids at Notre Dame before that was a regression as route runners with kids that came yeah. out of high school. Like Lawrence Keys regressed as a route runner at Notre Dame. Kevin Austin regressed as a route runner at Notre Dame. Braden Lindsay regressed as a route runner at Notre Dame because the as the competition was upped, they weren't taught the things you needed to be taught. Sure. So in that case, yes, I think that that would that would be true. But now that you've seen Coach Stuckey do a better job of getting the most out of these guys when it comes to route running. To your point, Ryan, Jaden Thomas was a pretty bad route runner on the first couple weeks of the season. Got yeah. slowly better, but about middle of the season when the light went on, I think it was like after the BYU game where he kind of got some confidence because he made some plays, you saw a completely different Jaden Thomas down the stretch to, to, to where, Ryan, he went from a guy that in game two were like, that guy shouldn't even be on the field the way that he played against Marshall. Right. So by the end of the year, we're like, this was their best receiver. 
and we don't say that in a can you believe that freaking Jaden Thomas was there? No, it's not like that. It's like this dude was your best receiver coming yeah. up. Yeah. And we almost don't talk about him as much now because we just assume so much with him. And and you know, where he's kind of I think kind of proven himself. Now it's just about can he do it from a volume standpoint? And I, I found it interesting too on the roster, Ryan. I mentioned how I thought he looked a little leaner, like just more yeah. muscular and less pudgy, but he was five pounds bigger. It's wild, um, man. The thing. I mean, he he look he's I'm telling you, man. Whew, boy. You, you, know, you know what's wild, Brian? I'm thinking about last so last spring, you know, last year, coming into it. So not at the end of the spring, but coming into it. Who would you say was probably the best route runner going into last spring? Avery Davis? Oh, yes. Very going clear. into the spring, very, right? Oh, very clear. And he, yeah, who basically has said publicly that he taught himself. I don't know. Right. I mean, that's not me saying that. That's Avery Davis saying that in a podcast. He taught I, himself I, how to run routes. So I'm just thinking of it like this. If you draft, if you were able to grab Avery Davis from last year going into spring and put him into this spring practice right now to begin, where is he on that list? Because I know Avery's a good route runner, but what is is he like? Third best route runner, fourth best route runner. When you think I mean, about he's still, it, I mean, he still might be in the conversation for number one yeah. because of this, Ryan. He would have even gotten better too because he's finally sure. getting coached. And not you see what I'm saying? So, like, yeah, assuming that he doesn't get any better, yes, he's a, he's for a second, third, fourth, somewhere around there. Right. Uh, but I think he would have got even better with a year of Chancey Stucky's coaching. So I, I get the point you're making, but but yeah, because he was still a guy that was still he was a sixth year senior, but he was still learning the game in a yes. lot of ways. But I was yeah, happy. That's, that's a good one. I, I was happy to see Avery Davis was participating in the pro day. By the way, him and Bill yes. Bauer a little bit. He ran a see. low to mid four five from what Not I bad. saw. Not bad. Which for a guy that's basically still kind of coming back from a knee injury, that's that's pretty good. And for a guy that's going to have to play a lot inside on the next level, yeah. that's not bad at all. It's not bad at all. Yep, absolutely. I hope he's able to make it. I it's still sad. It makes me sad about that knee injury that he suffered because. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right, let's get to uh, let's get to some more here, Ryan. I got a lot of great questions today. This is a good. Let me ask this one, Ryan, because it's a, a sort of an NFL type question. I want to give you first crack at this one. Sure. This is from Paul Hamilton, and Paul asks: Thinking of the pro day, does Tyler Buckner have a game that can translate to the next level? In certain systems, yeah. I mean, if you told me that, it, I mean, this is obviously dependent on Tyler Buckner, you know, developing over the next couple of years, right? But if Tyler Buckner develops and he has a chance to play in the NFL, if he's like that caliber of a of a you know resume to him, could he get dropped into the Baltimore Ravens system and play in that system? For sure. I mean, yeah, he because you can run some QB read stuff, you can run some quarterback run game. You know that that's a system that I think is possible. I mean, Brian Tyler Huntley made a Pro Bowl last year, yeah. right? Like exactly. that was going to be my response. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we are. So, yeah, in certain sy- systems, yes. Are there going to be some systems that Tyler probably doesn't fit well into? Yes, absolutely. But if he's developed properly, there's no reason that he shouldn't have a shot. But, again, that, there's a lot that needs to go into that conversation. Does he have the talent to be at that level? Yes. Is yep. he there yet? No, because otherwise he'd be starting starting quarterback in Notre Dame. Tyler has better arm talent, I think, than people realize. He doesn't have a cannon. I think that's the limiting thing is his arm strength has not taken a jump. But his anticipation, his his, his decision-making when he's on, his playmaking ability, I think all that fits in the NFL. To some, now, yeah. is it starter level or backup level? I'm not sure about that. Right. Here's what I do know. 
if the light goes on for Tyler Buckner, I don't know what kind of NFL quarterback he's going to be, but he can be an outstanding college quarterback. For sure. And not every great college quarterback is meant to be a, a, an NFL guy. There's a lot that aren't. There's right. a lot that exactly. aren't. Exactly. Yeah. So, yes. Does he have NFL tools? In some ways, yes. My only concern for him is obviously the technique needs a lot of work. The ball placement needs a lot of work. And his arm strength is is not – he doesn't have a bazooka. Yeah. But he doesn't have a weak arm either. You know it's what I mean? Just a good arm. It's a yeah, good arm. It's just a, yeah. good, it's just a good arm. But a lot of that other tools that I like from that regard. So, and and some people asked him for Pro Day. I don't believe Pro Day was streamed today. We kept trying to find it and we couldn't find it anywhere. So I don't think they sh- they streamed it this year on on Peacock like they they did. But they on Peacock at all? That's such a waste. Yeah, it's such just, a waste. I agree. You've got this Fighting Irish TV thing that you're doing. Like, why would that not be on there? It just whatever. Yeah. Meanwhile, Alabama, Ohio State, and those pro days are being streamed, but like you're missing an opportunity right. to stream yours. Like, I agree. Just, yeah. Agreed. Could you imagine how many Notre Dame fans would have watched today just to see Sam oh, Hartman gosh. throw the football to yes. Michael Mayer? Like, <laughs> if you just said, "Hey, Sam Hartman's going to be thrown today," or if you let like give us a heads up and we'll announce it. And yes, oh gosh, tons. Yeah. That's why I've said before, right? Even if you guys don't want to let us have more access, which you should, yeah. there's so many more things you can be doing. And it doesn't have to be like super like great production. Get right. a camera up there and connect it to your to your stream feed, and just have that camera looking down at Michael Mayer running routes and Sam Hartman throwing it to him on on your YouTube channel. Do you know how many hits you'd get on that thing? Oh my gosh! Yeah, it'd be it. It maybe, would definitely. Maybe they should send an email next year asking for donations to make that happen. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well played. Very well played, Ryan. I love the saltiness that was behind. Uh, yeah. I'm going to read this one too, Ryan, because it's a kind of a, a a draft question for you from Christopher Crosby. Crosby, okay. he says, "I've been doing my own draft boards for about 15 years or so." I love when people do that stuff, Ryan. I used to do that stuff all the time. I, I, that's so much fun. I have. And where do you think Ryan started doing that? I guarantee you, Ryan was doing that stuff. Or were you one of those kids in high school? Your te- where you'd be doing like draft stuff in the back of the classroom. The teacher like, you're never gonna make a living doing that. I I, 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 I think I started doing draft boards when I was like ten. Yeah, <laughs> like I was. Very I, I used to get in trouble. I had a biology teacher in high school at, at Atlantic Shores, and then I had a, a chemistry teacher at Kemsville. I'd be in the back like doing stats, like and drawing up plays. I'm like, you're wasting your time. You'll never make a living doing that. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm well, I told, I told you chemistry. Did I, I tell you my you college story? Uh-oh. My college story was, you know, my first major when I was in college, my first one was journalism. I was a okay. journalism major. Yeah, we were in a class. That. We were in a class. It was a history class because it was like one of the general courses you had to take. My te- my professor literally asked everybody to write down their, their major, fold it, and put it in a hat. And he got it all in a hat. He started picking up these, these notes, Brian, and he'd be like, you know, gen ed, you're not making any money. Journalism. You're not ever going to make a living. Yeah. I'm like, all right, dude. I wish I could go back and be like, hey, doofus. I was, I actually am making my, money now. My man. non-journalism boss takes care of me and my non-journalism with my non-journalism uh, background doing, you know, what I consider journalism. Well, I've always said yeah. I do journalism. I don't consider myself a journalist and I take pride right. in that comment. I take a lot of pride in that comment. So, yes. Yeah, absolutely. But the question, Ryan. Yes. I have 15 players with first round grades. Is this the weakest draft class you have seen in the last decade? It uh yeah, it may be. It may be. I know that that's kind of 
It's in the conversation for sure. I only have 13 first round draft picks, uh, mm. first round grades in this class. It is a abnormally, usually I am more in the 17, 18, 19 type of conversation. Christopher, not only is this not a top heavy draft, in my opinion, we are also seeing the effects of the COVID year for last year's class, Ryan. I, I mean, I've, I think I've said this on this podcast before, but there were 2,100 players that were in the 2022 NFL draft this year. I think it's like a third that size. It is a much smaller class. There was only 69 players that were early enroll, um, early declarations for the draft this year. That's usually in the hundreds nowadays. The last couple of years, so this is a small class. A lot of kids that came, and it's back. not top heavy. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of kids that have come back. There's a lot of still a lot of fit. I mean, guys like Sam Hartman, Phil Dracovic, guys that without the COVID year would be in the NFL draft this year, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, there's a lot. Of, and just those are two names off the top of my head that are Notre Dame related. But yeah, there's a lot of guys like that. And it's, yeah, and it's, it's just not a, it's not an incredibly top heavy draft. And I, I think the effects of last year, so many kids coming out and then some kids coming back this year, you're seeing also a volume is a smaller pool to pull from of prospects this year. So it's a fascinating NFL draft this year, man. Very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, what what let me ask you, what positions do you I actually like the quarterback draft class Ryan it, it's at it's not like an elite I, not even just at the top like I love you know my I, I like CJ Stroud and Bryce Young a lot I think both mm-hmm. have question marks they're not like no brainers like Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence in my opinion they're not that sure. uh, I you know how much I I mean we've talked about this I thought Deshaun Watson and Pat Mahomes coming out were no brainers I mean they were they were stars I still never understood why they fell out of the top ten but. When you we look at some other ones, like I, I don't view them as that, but they're still both very potentially very good quarterbacks. I love Anthony Richards' talent. He's a he's a big red. I mean, you and I were talking about this on the way home from pro day today. Yeah, he's a gamble. I mean, he's a guy that I said if I if the Broncos still had their top five pick, and they wanted to take Anthony Richardson, saying hey, we're going to let him cook in the oven for a couple of years behind Russell Wilson, you're not a Super Bowl team the next two years. So why not take a chance on a kid with that kind of ceiling? The problem, however, is, is, you know, if he is good, then you, you only get really three years out of him before he's at his second contract. And so that's, you know, that's part of the issue there. But, you know, I, I it's not but it's not just those guys. You know, I'm not a Will Levis fan at all, yeah. at all. You know, but there's some other guys in this draft, Ryan, that, that I like as maybe potential starters, you know, a, 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 a sort of a what's a kid from uh I'm drawing a blank on the name. The kid from Stanford a couple years ago. Tanner McKee. No, no, that started for Oh, Houston. Davis Mills. Davis Mills. Yeah. There's a lot of guys like him, in my opinion, in this draft class, meaning like they're not going to be stars most likely, but these are guys that can, you know, be good starters for you in the NFL, it, it, you know, potentially, or at least very good backups. You know, when I, when I look at this class, when I look at guys like, you know, Aiden O'Connell, if, I, if I'm in need of a backup quarterback in round four or five, I'm looking at Aiden O'Connell. He can go in there and get me out of a game because a backup quarterback's not going to be a star. He's going to be a backup quarterback. You know, like Tanner McKee could be a Davis Mills type of starter in the NFL, in my opinion. So I, I think there's a lot of guys like that that I like in this class. Hendon Hooker. You know, I if you're if you're Hooker. willing to to look past the knee injury and say, hey, I'm going to give Hendon Hooker a chance. He's a kid that I like in this in this draft class. So. You know, Jaron Hall's a, a guy that I could be a day three draft pick as a backup quarterback for me if I needed a guy. You know, a guy can come in there, run around a little bit, throw the football. So there's a lot of guys like that, Ryan, that if you're looking for a starting quarterback, there's some of those available. If mm-hmm. you're someone who's looking for depth at quarterback, there's some of those available. So I actually think it's a pretty decent and if like quarterback draft class. It's not great. 
but it's a good NFL draft class. Outside of that, there's not a lot of other positions that I'm in love with. There's I, some really I, top it there, except for edge. There's some really good edge rushers in this class. I like edge. Really good ends, edge. I think it's a really deep running back class this year. Really deep. I mean, you talk about Bijan obviously at the top, but then you got guys like Jameer Gibbs, Tank Bigsby, Sean Tucker. There's, I mean, even Deuce Vaughn. Yeah, kid from Ty J Spears. Yeah. yeah, really deep running back group. I I I think the tight end class after Michael Mayer at the top is a little bit overrated, but I still think it's yeah. got a lot of depth to it. Like, I still yeah, do like players. the class. It's yeah. just I think Dalton Kincaid and Darnell Washington should be more in the second round conversation than be right. mocked in first round. Like that's kind of where I am. But I think it's a deep tight end class. I think it's a deep running back class. You mentioned the edge position. I also think that cornerback. I think a couple cornerbacks near the top are slightly overrated. But that's a deep cornerback group, man. There's a lot of potential starters in that group if you develop them properly. So corner, edge, running back, tight end. Like I think those are the best, strongest in my opinion this year. Yeah. We've got one here, Ryan, from I, – I just – I need to say this name. ND Estimate Trucking LLC. Just love His, reading that guy's name. <laughs> and the Guy question is, yes, in your opinion between Ty Chan, Rocco Spindler, and Michael Carmody, who has the best feel for the game and the most technically ready to start and be a factor? Well, I mean, look, the, that's a great question because he picked three guys that, that that I don't think are easy answers to this. With all three of those, really, we're basing it off mostly high school film. I mean, that's yeah. the reality of it. We saw Michael Carmody playing a lot of, you know, two games of tackle, and then he got hurt. And he didn't show a great feel at tackle, but how many of those guys would have shown a good feel at tackle as redshirt freshmen? I don't know the answer. At left tackle, I don't know the – with a bad offensive line coach, I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. I think in, in high school film, I think Rocco showed a pretty good feel for the game, and so did Ty Chan. Michael Carmody was always a project because he was a basketball player in, in yeah. high school as well. I mean, he we mentioned this before, him and his brother were part of a team that I think made it all the way to the state championship game. And Michael could shoot. I mean, Michael, I think it was the semifinal game, knocked down a really clutch baseline three-pointer uh, or corner three-pointer in, in one of the, the semifinal games or one of the regional games or something like that, if I remember correctly. But he was always a bit of a project. But, I, I mean, I think Ty Chan shows a good feel for the game. I think Rocco probably is the most advanced of those three. Rocco's problems aren't necessarily feel for the game. It's his feet are really heavy. And when I saw yeah. that there's a question on there, Ryan, that I think is good to bring up here. We had Somebody had a question. I, 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 I saw that question as about, well about the weight. Yes, yeah. yes yeah. about him being 325. So I'm going to go try and find that question because I think it's kind of pertinent and good to bring up bring up now but the question was basically you know how do you feel about the fact oh here we go from keith wegan what do you guys think about rocco's weight being up to 325 uh it's worrisome to me keith to be honest i mean i i haven't seen rocco in person so i don't know what it looks like but at 315 his feet look sluggish and then adding another extra 10 pounds that doesn't sound like that's the fix to me but right. I, I don't know now man. maybe it's he completely reshaped his body and he got a little Which lot of fat be. added muscle and yep. maybe that's the case but that concerned me a little bit because he was a guy that just had really heavy feet and really slow feet but i never had an issue with rocco's feel for the game uh, that no. was never something that concerned me on film yeah he just the athleticism and he wasn't a lead athlete i mean i had some a top 150 guy so i i didn't think he was like some people thought he was like a borderline five star i, I never saw that right but i thought he would at least be a, a good a good starter you know potential starter and he's really struggled but his feet just got slow and i don't know what it was but i didn't see that in high school that wasn't something i was overly concerned about in high school right 
was yeah. you know, just that, the real heavy feat that we saw from him in Notre Dame. On the other side, to Keith's question, Brian, about him being heavier, it's also a big red flag to me that Michael Carmody didn't gain any weights. Any. Like, that's really scary, yeah. man. Like, I don't get – like, can he just – does he just not have the frame to handle weight? Like, I don't know what it is. Right. Like, it's it's not good, though. Ca- that was Caleb great. Johnson's issue. Somebody asked me, yeah. why didn't Caleb Johnson pan out? I said, well, I mean, Caleb Johnson did some really good things in Notre Dame from, from people I've talked to. You know, sources within the football program say, man, this kid's a really good pass blocker. Like, he yeah. moves well. The problem is he couldn't get out of the 270s, and sometimes he would dip down into the 260s, and at the end of the day, you can be good in one-on-ones and be a really good pass blocker in those situations, but you get into a game and you got to drive someone off the ball and you're trying to block Miles Murphy and he weighs as much as you do, you're going to lose that battle. I'm sorry. And that's yeah. the problem. you know. And, and I don't think he has the power like an Emil Wagner has. Like Emil Wagner could play at 280, 285 and probably handle himself pretty well. Sure. I'd like to see him go up to 290 because he's got really heavy hands and a lot of lower body power. Yeah. Where he can play a little bit. Zach Martin was that way. I mean, Zach Martin plays, Ryan, a lot more physical than you would expect of a guy that's barely 300 pounds. I mean, yeah. am I wrong on that? I mean, you've yeah. seen a lot more. I mean, he plays like a 320 pounder, 325 pounder. Agree. But he's not because he's just got that natural, that torque, that lower body power that just just there that, you know, and he's got this really heavy hands. It's like, you know, Mike Tyson was not very big. He was a very small heavyweight, but he just had, I mean, bricks for hands and he had (laughs) tremendous hand speed. So he could hit with the same kind of power that a much bigger fighter could hit with. We see that all the time, you know, where, where, you know, Floyd Mayweather was a great fighter, but I wouldn't actually call him like a, a really heavy handed guy where there's other guys, his, his size who, man, they hit you with a hook in the jaw and you are done. That was like know? Manny Pacquiao, you know, yeah, like oh, Pacquiao yeah. had a hook, man. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> that they hit you connect. Yeah. You're out. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think that there's a couple concerning players in there just from the weight perspective, one to one extreme, one to the other a little bit. Ty chain. I'm really interested to see this spring though, Brian, because Listen at 6'5, 310, like he was last year. But I saw him in a video, man, where I'm like, that dude is a big dude. Massive, man. But it's like good. He just looks like a big dude. It's not like a sloppy like 310. It's like a you're put together 310. You've been working with Coach Bayless 310, you know? So I, yeah. I'm really excited to see him. Yeah. That's gonna be it's it's gonna be interesting to see that what that battle looks like. I mean, if I had to if I had to pick right now, I'd probably say it's gonna be Shrouth and Christophic, even though on the first day, both of them were playing left guard, which yeah. I thought was interesting. So I, I would imagine one of them eventually shifts over Wait, to right. Say that again? Christophic and who? Shrouth. Oh, Shrouth. They were both playing left guard. First okay. day, going through yeah. drills. Again, we only saw them going through drills. It may, it may not be that way. They may be working on one of them at both sides. I don't know the answer to that, but I thought gotcha. that was interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Next question is from John A1. He says, what does Steve Angeli need to improve on to put himself in the battle for the new – for the number two quarterback on the depth chart ball placement and timing. Yeah. Those yeah. are the two things for me. Steve's issue is he has, he is, it was this way in high school. It was this way. Like I, it's funny, you know, some people just trying to evaluate players and they'll show, they showed a clip from Angeli at a, at a camp, like five clips from him in a camp. They're like, Oh, this is look how well he's spinning the ball. I'm like, not one of those throws was where it should have been. Yeah. It looked good coming out of his hand and it got there with velocity, but like you're running an in cut and you're throwing the ball up here, that's the last place you want to put an in cut. It's like yes. three in a row. They're like really high in cuts or high and behind. High and behind is even worse, Ryan, when you're throwing over the middle of the field on an in cut. 
you know, yeah, it looked great, but like that's terrible ball placement. Yeah. That's really Steve's issue. Steve has got good size. He's a quality athlete. Uh, I think he's a smart kid. He's got, I mean, he looks so calm at yes. the end of the, and again, I know it was a blue gold game, but still he was a freshman playing in front of the biggest, like 30,000 people. He never played in front of a crowd that big before. He, you know, he does always look clock, like that. Yeah. Yes. Running clock, like no timeouts. And the kid just was like, Hey guys, we got this. No big deal. Like it's all good. Like we're fine. And he just leads him down there and just, you know, leads him to a game winning touchdown. And then afterwards was like, yeah, okay. It's just kind of what I do. You know, so he's got all those traits. At the end of the day, though, you can't be the guy at Notre Dame if you can't be more accurate throwing the football. That's yeah. my big thing. So those are the things he him need to work on. But the reality is, is what's going to be hard for him, John, is that Steve has some tools, but he just doesn't have the tools that you know that Tyler Buckner has, in my opinion, even that Kenny Minchie has. I think that's going to be the thing for him is he's got some he's got some ability, he's got the presence, he's got the feel for the game. Uh, not feel for the game, the feel for, you know, leadership and, and how that needs to go. And, and, it, but at the end of the day, you you need to be able to put the ball where you want to put the ball. And yeah. that's something that he's going to have to work on. And he, Tyler can get away with it because Tyler can do so many other dynamic things yeah. that Steve just can't do. And I think that's a, that's a kind of where it comes from for me. I remember in practice last year, he was, uh, he was, he was pushed out of the pocket, Brian. I think he was going against the first team defense and he was scrambling to his left. Remember he's a right-handed quarterback. So this isn't easy to throw on the run, but even though he's scrambling out of the pocket, some guys just never look like they're rushed, man. Like he just looks calm the whole time. And I really do love that about Steve, man. So hopefully he takes a nice step forward because there, there are some intangible qualities to him that I think are, interesting very interesting to develop yeah and it's going to be interesting how he pans out but he strikes me as a really good kid he strikes me as the kind of kid you want to root for you yeah. know uh, just from what from a little we've seen about him Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.